0: Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk.
1: This is Malachi 4, one to six. Surely the day is coming It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for those who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. There will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction.
2: Well, quite a... Uh quite a powerful uh, verse or verses to introduce uh, Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Great to see so many in the room uh, and you at home. Thank you so much for joining with us. And I pray this really communicates something to everyone who's listening. This isn't exclusively uh, for fathers today. This actually is going to be uh, something for everyone. I think there's something for everyone. And by the way, uh, this is the last thing I'm doing before I'm going on holiday for two weeks and I haven't had a holiday in a long long time so I'm a bit demob happy if I'm honest. So uh, if uh, I say something slightly uh, wrong or slightly offending Andy can pick it up and you can uh, blame him. Um, happy Father's Day is, is a hopeful sentiment, but actually might not actually be the case for some of you. Uh, some of you at home, uh, you may have have absent fathers, a non-existent father. You may have lost your father even in this late, latest pandemic. And uh, it does seem at the moment that there's sort of almost a difficulty in terms of rejoicing and being happy in the midst of so much suffering and so much sadness. And many people, and people in Myanmar, people in India, friends of ours, part of our family have sadly died and lost parents and mums and dads and grandparents. And I know that uh, there is amongst many Christians, this question is, are we living in the last days? Is this the end of history? Is this going to be the final curtain call and Jesus comes back? Well, The thing about the Bible, the Bible gives us in terms of the last days, it gives us this incredible promise that no one knows, uh, but we can know this, that before Jesus comes back to the earth again, things will get worse and things will also get better. There will be terrible Earthquakes and wars and plagues and famines. Jesus says these are but the birth pains of what is to come. But we also know, and Malachi, that incredible last verse of the Old Testament, the last promise as the prophet speaks, is that in every generation, as we work towards that final climax, there is this incredible promise that God will send his spirit and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers and if that doesn't happen the earth will be cursed and so we today are looking at a subject which is so so important that uh, i hope it does communicate something of hope and promise to everybody because god is working in the world today and he's turning the hearts of his children back to him uh, there's a, a, a picture here, I think, will come up on the slide, that I've just received this, this very last week. And it's of a baptism, There was an actual video of it as well, of a baptism in the Philippines where 700 people in the last few weeks have given their lives to Jesus Christ. In one of our churches. 700, that's, that's encouraging, isn't it? In India, I had a text from a pastor in India this week, 13 people last Sunday in one church gave their lives to Jesus Christ. God is turning the hearts of the children to their parents and 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 he's turning hearts of people to him. And so I want to talk about turning and I'm going to talk... Use it as, a, as you can see in this picture, as a, as a turner of a lathe. I was given a gift. Um my neighbour last year of a lathe. I like woodworking and he he gave me some tools as well, sharp blades that you can make bowls and spindles and everything else. So there's going to be five sharp blades I'm using this morning very simply but it may well cut you. You may well feel oh I didn't know that or oh what does that actually mean for me and well that's why we're going to have some Q&A as well. So five, God's five sharp blades of truth, and uh, they are these. Firstly, really importantly, there is only one perfect Father. In John 17 and verse 24, father, Jesus, Jesus, praying just before he is to be arrested and crucified, he says this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Really, that's the, that's the gospel in a very succinct way that Jesus just prayed. See, in our age, we are laboring under this spirit of confusion when it comes to fathers. Do, do we need fathers? There's, on one extreme, but we don't need fathers. Mothers can do both, I mean, to be honest, and do it much better than fathers. On the, on the other extreme, we might have, well, no, we don't need mothers. We can have two fathers. We can have two dads, and kids can grow up with two dads. And isn't that better than... And we sort of have these extremes and fatherhood can either be elevated to this perfect expression of fatherhood or demeaned until we don't need it. And I know as Christians, as fathers, those of you in this room, those of you at home are thinking, it's so hard to be a dad today. It's so hard. I, I, I'm reading the books. I, I, I'm going to the courses. I'm signing up to everything. I'm listening to blogs and, and, and I, I just don't know if I'm good enough to be a perfect father. Well, I'm going to cut you some slack. You'll never be a perfect father. Don't matter what you read, do not matter how many courses you go on, you are made of flesh and blood. You and I. I and mean, even with our best efforts, we will fall and fail. But there is one that we are to follow, there is one we are to keep close to ourselves and model that, and that is our Father in heaven. And the right way to think, I don't know if you've ever thought about God in heaven before, the right way to think about God, Jesus says, is to think of him as our Father. Before the world began, before creation, the stars illuminated the the, the skies, before the first blade of grass ever came about, there was in eternity past the Father eternally loving the Son. The joy of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, eternally happy in the happy land of Trinity, not needing us, not needing creation, but eternally in love. And in that love they had for one another, they create, the Father creates, the spoken word and out of nothing comes creation, comes the world we live in, comes our lives. And the perfect father brings into that creation a son and a daughter. We know they fall. And God the father determines a salvation plan. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. And Jesus comes in, dresses in flesh and blood and shows us exactly what the father in heaven is like. There is no God in heaven who is isn't exactly like Jesus. And this Jesus took on our flesh, took on our sin, took on our humanity and suffered and died upon a cross in order to reconcile us who are lost to a father in heaven who wants to be reconciled to us. God so loved us, he gave his son. And this son reveals to us exactly what our God in heaven is like. He is Father. And Jesus says, this then, how are you going to pray? Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. To be a father today begins with a relationship with your Father in heaven. There is no understanding of fatherhood without connecting firstly To the Father. And if you are listening to this in this room or listening to at home and you've never known God as your father, today you can, as his child, as Andy said, who has had the rain poured out on their life, cry out to him with this incredible eternal promise that whosoever, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today you can say, Father. If you're there, if you're there behind all of the terrible things in this world, behind the universe, would you reveal yourself and he'll come to you and reveal himself in Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Today you can join our brothers and sisters around the world in crying out to God and turning to him. The second thing I really want, this is another sharp blade of truth, is that perfect fathers don't have perfect children. Now this is a real huge... This is a few moment, everyone who's a dad, whew, the pressure is off. The beautiful, eternal, perfect father, he creates a, a son and a daughter. And he says to them, hey, as dad, you can have it all. Choose your fruit tree. Choose your holiday. Have as much sex as you like. Enjoy yourselves. Go on, crack on. Have loads of kids. He's, he's releasing. Oh, by the way, one area is it's out of bounds. And that's the area to play God, to be God. The knowledge of the tree, of, the knowledge of good and evil. The tree mustn't touch that. Everything else you can have. But you know the story, you know what you're like, you know what I'm like. The one thing that is forbidden, we think, well, why can't we have that? <laughs> you notice your kids came to a candy store and says, anything you like but that one. That's the one they want, isn't it? They weren't even going to notice the one that you said you can't have. As soon as you said you can't have it, I want that one. That's human nature. That's a sinful nature. And then you think to yourself, well. Okay, God didn't get perfect kids, but surely the Old Testament, there must be examples of perfect kids. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's an absolute disaster zone. Abraham has a son who is described as a wild sort of donkey. You come to Jacob, he has 12 sons, and they all hate each other. Well, they hate Joseph, if they want to try and kill Joseph. Great parenting, this is absolutely hilarious. And yet in Joseph's life, even though his brothers tried to kill him, what Joseph had to come to find and what I want you to find this morning, all of you who are parents, is Joseph came to a place saying to his brothers, God, our good father in heaven, meant it for good. God is working in your life. Those of you who, by the way, if you're a mum, a single mum, bring up kids on your own, You deserve double applause today. Just to say that, it's so difficult. Having, if you're a father or a mother, bring up kids on your own. I mean, my hat goes off to you. It's such a hard job. Even when you've got a mum and a dad, it's a really hard job. But I want to say to every parent here, every father here, don't beat yourself up. You can get it all right, and still have kids to get it all wrong. I know as Christians, we can try and hide. We've got three good kids. Hey, look at my good kids. One other kid, we don't even mention her because she's well, I don't even wanna mention what she's into. Actually, there is grace for parents, kids that are doing well, kids that aren't doing well. We have only one perfect parent and that's our father in heaven and there is grace for us. Grace to turn today, press the prayer for uh, some prayer ministry after I finish speaking, there is grace for everybody. Thirdly, another sharp blade of truth, family is redefined by Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, this always seems a little bit offensive. When Jesus was still talking to his crowd, his mum and brothers stood outside wanting to have a word. And someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus said to them, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And pointing to the disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Really, really key for us as a church. Westminster Chapel, listen up. This is really important. Jesus does not knock our nuclear family. It doesn't knock being mum and dads and having kids, but he redefines family in the context of a, of a community he's going to build on earth, which is the most powerful community on earth. And in that community, Jesus says there are going to be mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and the odd one that no one wants to spend any time with, and that's going to be called the church. I don't know if the odd one is in the room today, but You, if you remember this church, you are related to one another as family. And I say that because the nuclear family is the Western idol that our society, our churches, bow the knee to. You do. I meet so many Christians whose life ambition is, I want to have a boy and a girl. Period. Period. And I want for this boy and girl to have the perfect growing up experience. I want them to have the perfect education. I want them to have the perfect life. I don't want them to have any health issues. I want them to grow up with loads of friends, loads of hobbies. I want them to grow up to be really intelligent, to succeed at university and then succeed in business. And I want my children to just be those wonderful people that everybody loves. And that's all I want in life, just them to be happy and to be really successful. That is the idol of the West. And Jesus says, no, no, if you want to know the godly ambition that is there for all Christians, it is to build a community, a family of, on earth that is more powerful than that nuclear family. And just a, a throwaway, to really offend people, really, really offend people, that means having more than one child, even two Maybe three, four, five, six. If the biggest thought is money, if the biggest thought is control, if the biggest thought is, actually, this is beyond me, the challenge is, Psalm 128, 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. What's a fruitful vine look like? Two grapes. Vivian and Vincent my wife's a fruitful vine, meet my two grapes. That's a little bit silly, isn't it? Or to continue that verse, your children will be like olive shoots around your table when you have dinner. Meet my one shoot, she's called olive. Or two shoots, another one called pearl. (laughs) You see, what our children most need I'm speaking now to the church, is to grow up in a community of aunts and uncles, fathers and mothers, grandparents. They need to grow up in a community of of other children, because in the community of other children, they learn the word no. Not just yes, what the parent can often give. They learn how to share. They learn how to share each other's lives, each other's food, and to not be so selfish and preoccupied and realize there is a bigger world out there. And God is building in this church an international family. So we should eat international food, speak international languages, and have international leaders of every sort and shape that make up this family. Amen? You can say amen, actually, behind your mouth. Amen. Amen. I'm in a Pentecostal church this morning. Fourthly, I didn't hear you back home. Yeah, that's good. Okay, fourth sharp blade of truth. Adoption is never second best. Adoption is never, ever biblically second best. We've done a lot in Ephesians. I'm going to read these verses. This is how God our Father has adopted us. For Verse 4, chapter 1. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. The word adoption is not that helpful to most of our Western minds because we might think the best is to have my own kids and if that doesn't work out well we'll go and pick up some other kid that no one wanted and we'll we'll do the best we can with them so we can have that mindset. Adoption, biblical adoption, work like this. You are a slave working in a household who has no rights, no liberty, no freedom, no money, no nothing. You have five kids. You are enslaved for the rest of your life and so are your children under the the, the care of your master or sometimes the harshness of your master but the master can't have children and so the master asked if he can adopt one of your children and this is like winning the lottery because adoption means that that master takes your son, your daughter and says to them, we're gonna change your name and you're now gonna be named after me. And not only are you named after me, actually every debt your family has incurred is wiped clean in this very act. Not only is the debt wiped clean, but actually so too is your life free now to pursue everything this family wants and you can live with a delightful inheritance. You are no longer a slave. You are free, your family is free, and now you are a son in the household with a new name, a new authority, and a new future. It's an incredible deal. And Paul says, that's the gospel you were lost, you were enslaved, you were chained, you had no hope, no future, neither you nor your family, but through the gospel, through trusting in Christ, God has adopted you into the family and now you are free, now you have a delightful inheritance, now you have brothers and sisters, now you are part of this global world family and we have an eternity to look forward to, pretty good isn't it? therefore if we understand the nature of adoption the whether you can have children or not children is not the issue adoption is part of the father's heart towards the world and therefore the church should be proactively leading the way in adopting children and expressing something of the father's heart to the world around them so thank god for mike and becky thank god for all those of you who have adopted and those of you thinking in the future adoption is not second best It is not second best. It's a wonderful, wonderful act of grace that you yourself have already received and all you're doing is passing it on. Finally, I'm sorry this is a bit rushed, but you know 20 minutes is a challenge. What is the most important thing I want to say to every father in this room this morning? What is the most important thing you can do for your kids this morning, fathers? Fathers at home, listen to this. What is the most important thing you can do? It is found in Ephesians 5:25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wife. Hang hey, on, I want to love the kids. No, no. If you want to love your kids, love your wife. I want my kids to flourish. They will flourish when you love your wife. You love God, yes. You're children of God in this family. But the most important thing, Dan, so I can say to you this morning is love your wives. Because in loving your wives, you bring your children under the, the wonderful canopy of God's desires and expressed love and permission. The children can flourish under a mum and dad who love God and love each other. And when there's war, when there's no pulling together, when there's no unity, when the dad is so preoccupied with work, he hasn't got time for his wife, that's when the children start to suffer. So today, God is turning, with his blade, turning the hearts of the fathers to their children, to God, to their wives, because he wants to bless your family. He wants to bless your life. And so that's the five sharp blades of turning this morning five sharp blades of truth and i'm just going to pray for us pray for you at home. why don't you stand because you've been sitting for a while i know the worship band will come up but i just want to pray this over every one of us close your eyes just be in the spirit lord i pray your word would cut like a knife to expose our hearts and reveal your truth. I pray that people today would turn to you as Father for the very first time, and prodigals would come home. I pray, Lord, that there'll be grace for every father who feels a failure this morning, who feels I've tried so hard and I seem to not do well with my kids. I pray, Lord, let your grace pour in like a mighty river. I pray, Lord, for us who are maybe single, people in this church are getting older thinking, well, that's the nuclear family. I pray all of us would understand your eternal purpose is in your family, the church. You will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So pray, build us as family. And Lord, may we all come to see that adoption is grace-filled, normal Christian living. And may we adopt many, many sons and daughters into your family. And Lord, I pray for this miracle today, that you would turn hearts of fathers to children, children back to parents, and hearts of dads to mums, and mums to dads, that this would be a day of mercy and grace and blessing. So Lord, go to work through your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him.
3: than that I
4: going to take a time for us to respond directly to the message before we uh text in questions but the number will go up on the screen now so have it in mind and during the next song um do send in your questions and we'll do the q a for a few minutes after that but i just want to ask you the simple question of do you feel your heart turning back to god in some sense turning to your father That's the invitation. That was the prophecy. That's what Jesus comes to do is reconcile enemies to God so that they relate to God no longer as a hostile um, individual, but as their father who loves them. And that's a rewiring in us. It's not a rewiring in God. The Bible's very clear. James says that God is perfect and never changes. He's the father of lights and all good things come from him. So part of your turning to him now could be just reflecting on the day just gone. Any good thing, any good thing that has come your way today, you can give thanks to your father in heaven because he ordained for that to be the case for you if anything has touched a raw nerve you've got a little bit cut by the lathe then um please do talk to someone chat these things through. We want to be honest and open about our experiences, our questions, how we relate to these things. You can talk to your life group leaders. If you're in a life group, you can email our pastoral care team at westminsterchapel.org.uk. There's various ways that we would love to continue the conversation if you want to talk certain things through, or even just pray. And especially online, if you're online now, you can request prayer for anything that you've been um, listening to that you would like a change in your family situation a change in your marriage perhaps whatever it might be you can pray please do pray we've seen amazing miracles families totally turned around under the power of Jesus so why don't we pray now as we go into this next song and it's quite a good it's very fitting good good uh, song choices. We've just sung good, good father. Now we're going to sing who you say I am because knowing the good father in heaven changes who you are and it's relating to God in that's how you understand who you are in this world and how you should live. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we've heard and I pray now for everyone here that they would hear your voice quite clearly in the specific area where you are saying turn back to me lord perhaps that's someone who's never known that you are father in any way that today would be the first time that they start to relate to you in that sense through jesus your son lord for some of us we've wandered and we are being rebellious children in certain areas help us in your merciful way to turn back to you and experience more your presence. And Lord, those who are feeling weak and feeble, help them to turn as you lift them up, you pick them up and embrace them. Help that turn be a turning of comfort and a turning of joy from despair. So, Heavenly Father, please meet every individual, one of your children, including me, right where we are right now, as our perfect Heavenly Father. And we do apologize for those moments, Father, when we have completely rebelled, when we've dishonored Jesus, Jesus' name, we've grieved your spirit who you send to us all the time. Please help us to turn to you now and to sing this song with the absolute certainty and conviction as we read these words and we mull them over and we think them through and then we go into this Q&A afterwards, Lord. Help us to truly grasp and embrace this reality that you are Father. That's never changed. You didn't become Father as we heard a while ago, a few weeks ago. You never became Father. You are Father. You're the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Help us to relate to you as Jesus relates to you. Amen.
5: families, Lord. You call for the widows and the orphans to be cared for. You care so deeply for us that you sent Jesus to die on the cross, to die in our place, so that we can have everlasting and abundant life through his death and resurrection. We thank you, Lord. We thank you so much. There's no other word we can say, but thank you, Lord. Thank you. We praise your name. Thank you, Lord.
4: grab a seat we'll set up as quickly as we possibly can and do continue to send messages in I've got the phone I did just drop it but hopefully it still works Thank you. and as they come on the stage could you uh, give a round of applause to guy and Heather for joining us And FYI, on the sound desk, I think they're sharing the handheld microphone. Well, thank you. Thank you for an amazing message. Rattling through five points very quickly, each one with a lot of unpacking. So uh, you can do all that unpacking now, thank you. Um, There's no perfect fathers on this planet. Therefore, we would like a story of your funny imperfections, please. I can tell one briefly. I was cycling home from the Science Museum with my daughter in the torrential rain on Friday, and that was not fun for her or for me, Um, worrying about hypothermia and everything like that. Nothing on that one. This is your good moment to keep texting in questions if you have any. <laughs> this is Steph in the background by the way doing uh, fantastic. Uh, very good thank you so father and imperfect <laughs> I, I would
2: say uh, in terms of imperfections I've probably got a whole catalog of things I've got wrong I mean one of the things that reminds me very... Clearly, when I was we've got four children, two boys, two girls, and uh, the eldest boy when I went to school, uh, the the, the teacher, his teacher, asked to see Heather and I, um, and I'm thinking this is going to be he's doing really well, high flyer, and someone had been uh, taking uh, toilet paper from the toilets, soaking it in water, and using it in a catapult to uh, fire at other children. And uh, this teacher was telling us this, and uh, she was saying, um, and it's a group of boys, and John is one of them. And I said, well, I'm afraid he's very easily led. And they said, no, he's the ring leader. <laughs> so I said, well, he's not the leadership of the Tamsons to after his father. So uh, I, could, I could keep you here for ages in terms of all the mistakes. I think, in, in all seriousness, one of the most important things to say is, I think when you have your first child, you do slip into, I'm going to be a perfect dad or perfect mum, and I want to do this perfectly. By the time number four comes along, they're just bouncing off, who cares? Uh, you just realise, I can't do this. And other people are to have to help me, because uh, I've made all the mistakes by like number four.
4: You've just said about uh, he takes after his father. Um, so... Uh, That relates to one of the questions of how do we relate to our Father in Heaven? And this is obviously a very personal one. Some people haven't had great fathers um, in the past. Some have had brilliant fathers in the past. And I think both camps can sometimes struggle to relate to God our Father. So someone asked a really good question. We are meant to pray or taught to pray, our Father is the first two words, and what are the implications of that? Is that just the address that we need to write on the letter before we send it up to heaven, or is there more in our Father? So that's the first question, is the theological implications of saying that for all of us, but then also uh, maybe you could touch on how uh, we as individuals can help one another to relate to a Father in heaven.
0: I was only going to say that I very clearly stated this morning that there is no such thing as a perfect father. And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know why, but I think dads get more of a bad press than mums almost. I think we can blame our dads for all sorts of things. things. Um, most of us have dads that probably did their best. Some of us have dads who are negligent. Some of us have dads who don't even I think you can still be thankful to your dad, even if it's as fundamental as this man caused me to come to this world. Life is a gift and I'm grateful to him. Um, but if he's just sort of somewhere in between, not so great, not, not so bad, I think if you think of any of the bad things that you hold against your dad and think, God is the opposite of those things. So my dad neglected me, he didn't affirm me. God looks after you, he does affirm you. And other people can help you to praise some of those things through, that the very negative things that you have towards your dad, some need to be, you need to forgive them. To you and therefore God is this, this and this, what a good father he is.
2: Superb. I would, I would just say theologically, I think when uh, I became a Christian, I had a good, good uh, dad. He was quite absent in my life. He was in the navy, away for a year at a time, for many times, and I had to go to boarding school. Uh, I missed his presence. So when I became a Christian, I didn't. I had some good things to attribute to the name Father, but I still had no idea what the Father of Heaven is like, and. Um, that meant that i would often read the old testament and think view god as distant uh, creator um, judge uh, someone who executes judgment who brings war um, and i had that world view or that view of god and i suddenly came to a point in my christian life where i realized that actually everything about god is revealed in jesus And Jesus wanted in that verse I read earlier, he said, look, what we had in eternity past, Father, I want them to be in on that, not as slaves, not as watchers on, but in on the family bond. And I want to rescue them from the slavery of orphanhood and and, and distance. And I want to bring them Father, into all that we had. So if you can think of your very best thought, whether it's creation, whether it's love, whether it's kindness. Whether it's goodness, all of those multiply a million times and that is what the father of heaven is like. He is a god who loves us and a god who invites us in, not wants us to, to stand off, but wants to come running running to us. I mean the good god by Mike Reeves is a superb book. I've read many books that have helped me to come to worship god as he is because as I said earlier there is no god father in heaven who isn't exactly like Jesus.
4: And then um, as congregation members, people who want to love others, are fellow members in this church, how can we help others to relate to God as father when we know that they've got a bad past history with their father? Have you got any stories pastorally, how you've actually been able to take people through steps to relate to God as father?
0: I love these things. They really put you on the spot, don't they? Um, I have a dear friend uh, back in Bournemouth, where our home is, whose father was very, very neglectful and very abusive. And for that reason, she got into all sorts of things, from addiction to prostitution. Um, We've had to do a lot of unpacking with her to point to God as her father, who really, really loves her. And all I would say, I guess, for this is it's not just a one-off thing. You can't just pray for somebody and suddenly they're all sorted, but that it's an ongoing work of grace to keep pointing them to God as Father instead of pointing them to what they've seen as fatherhood on earth.
2: I think when we had children, I thought the first time you brought them home, such joy, such wonderful, within a few days, it was like, can we can we put them back, can we hand them back somehow, you know, is this a sort of sell-by date, is there a sort of like, okay, we've tried this, no, no, I don't want to do this. Um, and then you realise, you slip into the thought that parenting is till they get to 18 and then you can push them off to work or university and then you come to a realisation, our kids now all in their 30s, parenting is for life. And, and I, I mean my kids have gone through this incredible transition when I, when I was young, I was absolutely a genius. I could do anything, make anything. I was close to pele in terms of my sporting football ability. When they got to teenagers, I was the village idiot. I was the absolute dunce of the class. You just ignore everything you said it was. T- And the the eyes in the head. Now they're in their 30s, it's amazing how much I've learned in the last 10 years. They're suddenly asking me my opinion again. I would say this when it's talking about how we help each other with families. Um, We become family to each other. We become friends. We become brothers and sisters. We become aunts and uncles. You can't be friendly with everybody in a church. You can be a friendly aunt. But we can also be parents. And parents are people that are invested to release children to their full-time calling. Not to control children and keep them as children, but to release them. And parents in the church are people that God raises up that can put feathers in their wings and help them to fly. And you'll notice you don't have to be a leader to be a parent. Any of you can be a parent to a child of God in this church because you can come alongside them and you can put feathers in their wings. You can encourage them over many years and they will fly in God. They will do amazing things, go way beyond what you ever do. But that's what being a parent is. It's loving unconditionally and are interested in their future, not your own future.
4: You've just touched on... The idea of the, the child in the context of their church. Um, and you also mentioned in your message of the importance of your child being part of a church and needing to share with others and that kind of stuff. How do we walk this balance of in the West there being um, an idol of the nuclear family? So you walk into the church, but these people do not have any say over my children. They're not allowed to tell my children what to do. Don't, don't try and parent my children in any way. Versus... The church family becoming a bit overbearing and actually a bit intrusive. how do you walk that line, and what do you think are the main areas of change that people might need to make?
0: Um, just a quick throwaway comment, I guess. Um, I always say to new mums, there is so much advice out there, and now you've got the internet. I mean it's unlimited advice. I always say choose one or two people who use opinion you respect. And go to them and ask for their advice on things. Don't, for goodness sake, ask loads and loads. Because you'll get such polarised opinions. And the other thing I try to live by as somebody who's getting on in years is when I'm asked for advice, I will give it. If I'm not asked, I won't. Even though I'm looking and thinking, "Oh my word, I wouldn't be doing it that if I was you." Um, so just be sensitive and thoughtful, and don't barge in and think you automatically know exactly what somebody else should be doing with their child. Especially if they're not having a, if they're having a tantrum somewhere, that is not a time to give your advice.
2: We also, with four children, wanted to to understand that they were part of a larger community. So we would have living in our home people from all over the world for seasons of time sometimes just for a week or two sometimes for two years and our children grew up in an international family understanding that some of their best friends are people out in india for instance and that that, that those those people in india have been parents to our children coming with gifts coming with scriptures and prayer times and ministry times you break you have to you have to intentionally break the idol. You, you can't say, well, it's an idol and I'll just take it down this morning. No, you have to smash that idol and think, no, if my children are to grow up in a world which understands that we're part of a bigger family. And let's be honest, when you go to West Point and get 4,000 people, your children are the most excited because they're going, wow, I didn't realize our family was this big. Well, it is and uh, they need to be part of it. It's not a free-for-all for for every adult to start telling off kids, but nevertheless, as you start to befriend and get close relationships with people in your home, there may be, well, if I'm with Andy and Sean, who are dear friends, I might want to say, Andy, I think you probably need to step in here, Uh, but I've earned that right. I haven't got a universal right just because I'm a leader or older. I have to earn that right, and if we do that, as a family, our children will flourish.
4: And so spending time as a family with other people in the church must be very important for that as well. Um, so moving on, of you given advice to me, and you have given fantastic advice over the years. Um, how can we support fathers within the church? Because it's a tough job to do. Um, I, I often hear the response when I chat to dads. I say, how are you doing? And their immediate response is, oh, it's much harder for mum." And I'm like, yeah, well, blatantly, but still, how are you doing? So how can can we support fathers in a good way in the church?
2: I'll start this because, I mean, again, in terms of our complementarian position, just hear this really importantly, Heather has taught me nearly everything I know on parenting on fatherhood, okay? So it's not sort of, I have a sort of divine connection and get all the wisdom. Heather has really helped me think biblically and think what, being a dad is all about and how you discipline and boundaries and bedtimes and things I'd never even thought about. I've really received tons and tons from this woman. I would say though that dads do have that final responsibility for protection of your family, to watch what's coming into the home, whether that's on the internet or whether that's other friends or or voices. Um, And one of the ways I would say, Andy, is Dads need other dads to stand around them and to learn from each other. It is a hard it is a hard thing. I think mothering is probably harder, but I still think dads need other dads. And they also need mums who are going to say, well done. Heather is good at telling me you did that well. And believe me, when we started out with kids, I needed to hear that because I thought, I don't know what I'm doing. I've got big L plates on. And Heather goes, the way you spoke to John, the way you prayed with that that was really good, well done so mums, it's not dads just need other dads to help them, dads also need a mum who is supportive and encouraging and submissive you got anything to add?
4: amazing, and then let's go for some quick fires under the category of raising children, and we've got let's say five minutes, I'm looking at that clock by the way tech team, Um, raising kids In in central London, we shouldn't use it as a a caveat to to not uh, take your challenge seriously of having lots of children. However, is there a difference between being faithful and being foolish with the number of children you can have? Yes. (laughs) Quick fire round. (laughs) Anything to add slightly?
0: Well, I think it's one of those areas that in our world we think we, we... can control completely uh, and that we know the number of kids we're going to have but sometimes God has some surprises up his sleeve um, I, I, it's too easy to just think two is the magic number or even just one is the magic number my views on all of these things have changed over the years having been exposed to different cultures and all the rest but I just would say that every child you have is a blessing from God there is no such thing as a surprise baby to God and every one of them is precious um, I had four. I mean, I guess I could have had ten, but we chose to just stick with four. Great. Um,
4: Raising children, disciplining children, God's way, let's say. Um, Any tips, any ways, any things that you've found helpful along the way of thinking about how do I discipline children from a young age to older as well? Does that change?
2: I've learnt most of this from Heather, so I'll pass over to her, but my only... Real important quote, remember this, your children get one set of parents, so parent, don't chicken out, don't think, oh I don't know what I'm doing, parent as as God graces you to parent, please don't pass that responsibility to someone else, even the other half, parent your children.
0: I think discipline is a massive subject. I don't think I could possibly give a throwaway remark on discipline. All I would say is, as Christian parents, that our consistency and not living a hypocritical life is incredibly important because your children see you morning, noon and night, the good things, the bad things, and they will spot the discrepancies from what you say and what you do.
4: Well related to that, there's been a question about showing emotion, let's say in tough times, showing emotion in front of your children versus showing them a sort of uh, stable, we've got this under control kind of thing. uh, Tell us a little bit about self-control, being yourself in front of your child, but do you show them everything?
0: That's a very interesting question. Um, I think it's age-specific, so when they're very, very little, they probably wouldn't want to see mum or dad crying about something because it might be very unsettling for them. Having said that, I think there would be times and occasions where they might see you're most vulnerable, and you would need to be able to give them some kind of explanation for that, I think. Um, Is that sufficient?
4: I think that's good. maybe something uh, something else on emotions emotions in children uh, i've i 've been learning recently about um, it's it 's quite hard to relate to the emotions of your children and as a dad especially I think um, trying to just get them to snap out of it rather than relating to their emotions in the right way um, the, yeah any ideas?
2: I, I I just think that it is age specific my Children in their 30s will see dad cry over situations, which is really important. I think what you have to make sure as parents is that you are not allowing their vulnerability to be affected by the moment of inopportune emotion they They need a safe space to exercise their emotions, and they need to be able to talk to mum and dad in a, in a safe way not' a, if you 're if you're angry if you 're tired if you 're and and you're responding out of that, you can damage your children. So you want to make sure, actually this isn't the right time to talk about that. Dad's not feeling good at the moment. He's tired, what have you. Can we come back and and, and create a safe space to share that? At the same time, it's important they understand that we're flesh and blood, that mum and dad need time, mum and dad are tired and and, and are weak, because that helps them grow understanding what it is as well.
4: That's brilliant. And then, uh, final question. And this is relating to... You mentioned it's ultimately, in the end, the dad's responsibility for what comes into the home. And many people are feeling the pressure of, I don't know, sending children to school, what they might experience or hear at school, those kinds of things which perhaps are changing, perhaps it's getting a little bit more difficult, I don't know. Um, any guidelines, because in some camps there's quite a lot of pressure that Christian parents should homeschool, for example, uh, and then there's um, some other other perspectives on it as well. So just any basic guidelines or principles about guarding Uh, Your children in the right way from the worldly influences out there.
2: I'll let Heather have the final word of this Q&A. But from my point of view, we mustn't play God with our children and think if we can put them in a bubble, they will flourish and thrive. You know what happens to plants if you just leave them in a greenhouse, they grow tall and leggy. You, so, exposing your children at the right time, and that 's a parent 's call to what they clubs they go to, schools they go to, etc, is your call, and you take that responsibility before God, but you mustn 't try and think that if you do everything perfectly, your kids are going to end up as great Christians because that doesn 't work out they're, they're, first and foremost they 're god 's children, not yours, and therefore you must be the the, the one thing i 'd want to doubly emphasises whatever your children go to, and our kids went to some really tough, tough, tough schools. They wanted to come home to a safe place, a place where they could unwind, let loose with their emotions, know that mum and dad were there for them. That's the important thing as parents. The other stuff that they get exposed to and go out to, you sometimes can't control, but you can control the safe space they come back into.
0: The only very brief thing I would add to that is that your children feel that they can ask you about anything. My parents were wonderful parents, but there were lots of things I could not ask them because I knew it would embarrass them and they wouldn't have the answers. So you need to be someone who is prepared to work through those. I mean, it's a challenging world we live in, isn't it? Um, You're being asked things that we weren't, Um, but they need to know they can come to you and talk about these things. And if you don't know the answers, that you can start working them together with them to find some answers.
4: That's amazing. And if you keep the mic, could you pray for us as a church, as fathers and everything else? And band, if you come up now, we're going to sing one final song after this prayer together. So why don't we all stand and Heather will pray for us.
0: Lord, we just thank you for this congregation here this morning, online and in, present, in person. Lord, we thank you that there are mums and dads and aunties and uncles, all sorts of different relationships here. But we thank you, Lord, that we can gain our strength from you. You are the God of all wisdom and goodness and kindness and love. We thank you that we can come to you and ask you to help us where we don't have the answers. And we can ask you to forgive us when we get it wrong, Lord. We're so glad about that. So bless us as we think about these things and as we go home, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel.